Welcome to King Size. King Through the Ages, as Stephen King podcast. For obsessives, by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Jamie Stewart. The Naughties, Part 1. Constant listeners, welcome back. Welcome back to King Size, King Through the Ages. We're here and we are on the cusp of uh, the, I, I, I always feel incredibly weird saying noughties, but that's what, that's the simple way to, to call it that. Yeah. But obviously there was something pretty major that happened to our beloved favorite author, Um prior to the books that we're going to then be covering. And we think it's only right, obviously, that we spend some time just talking about what happened to King on one of the days when he was taking his daily uh, walk. Um, And it was a life-changing walk for sure. Jamie, what what happened? I was thinking about this myself and how I was, uh, how we we're going to sort of talk about this. And, you know, I became a King fan. I can sort of work out by 2003. So after the accident and the accident we're referring to happened in uh, 1999. So it did in which King was going for a walk, uh, which he does on a sort of daily basis, I think just for his own physical health and, his, and he enjoys it around me and, and a driver who was um, intoxicated and dealing with a, uh, dog that was off um you know running about the back of the van while he was driving um took his eyes off the road and hit king uh, a near uh, an almost fatal accident um that left him uh, with severe and severe pain and with uh, severe you know trauma to his body and i think from this point onward you know it, nothing you know even more so than anything he dealt with with the um drug abuse and the alcohol abuse this event has gone on to affect everything that he's done in terms of publishing um, from now on, um, from then on. And um, so it's certainly we should spend some time talking about it. But I think I was thinking about so why I was thinking about it with myself was not being a fan after the accident. I can't imagine what it would be like being in 1999 and um, knowing or hearing the news that King has had this near fatal accident, not having the easy level access to information as quickly as we have now. And, you know, if you're a King fan, this is a, you know, an author. That's what King is so great about being being so prolific. You have followed him through three decades of his career and you've people have grown up with him, have grown old with him, have, you know, communed and talked with other people and discussed his books, you know, you know, and then you have this news where, you know, King might be dead. King might, or if he's not dead, he these you know the accident, the, the injuries could be so severe that he could be impaired in such a way that he maybe may not be able to write or may not have any inclination to write again. Uh, and a man in the middle of his life, 
And it must have been such a sort of uncertain time uh, for King fans because there are, there is, a, we, as we talked, there's a massive culture. We're here because we love the man and love his work. There is a massive, you know, love and respect for this individual. He's created these worlds and these universes and these stories. Um, so, you would be so you'd be looking at your you know you would, you wouldn't be looking at your phone but you'd be trying to find any news you could and I suppose even though King is you know he means so much to us he isn't really necessarily probably a minor celebrity at the time so there might have been very difficult to find information even if they were talking about it, about how he was and um, it just it would you know and I think that 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 of that effect affected him that the fact that he might not be here and there might not be any more stories to come certainly motivated him to write the stories that we are going to talk about tonight um, in this episode. So, yeah, I was, so when King of the Exton, I was mid twenties, um, you know, been reading King for nearly about 15 years. And as you said, now, if that happened, obviously I'd have this little tiny device in my hand that would immediately give me breaking news and yeah, countless, uh, updates. <laughs> apps, countless updates. And, and as we know, when something like that happens, we just, we're, we're like, we're vampiric. We're hungry for the information. What's going on? What's happening at the time? I remember obviously reading about it in the paper and I'd read most of what King had published by that time. And I remember just, you know, just the ache uh, and just the worry and thinking, oh, my God, you know, well, that's it. That's you know, game over. Because, again, what was coming out through the papers were the uh, severity of the injuries. So mm. we're thinking, well, there's no way he's going to be able to to write again. Um, I mean, he a local man said I was surprised he was even alive. He was in a tangle up mess, lying crooked, had a heck of a gash in his head. He kept asking what had happened. And as they waited for help to arrive, uh, Brian Smith, who was the guy that hit King, appeared nonchalant. He thought he'd hit a deer until he noticed King's bloody glasses on his front seat. And King later said about it, call it fate, call it God. But what you're left with is this guy. And he hits me at the one blind spot on a long road. No one else to hit for miles. When NASA can't get a missile to land on Mars with all the brains and technology in the world, then you think there's something odd going on. Or maybe NASA should just hire Brian Smith. So it was one of those, he went for a walk and he popped to, you know, at the call of nature and then walked out and then got hit by by the van. And again, he's often spoken about the just the million to one chances, the butterfly effect. What if Tabby had gone on the walk with him? What if he'd gone a slight moment later? What if he'd not gone to have a pee in the woods and then come out? Again, I think... That whole what if, which just the, the fragility of life, the frailty, just that one moment and everything can shift and change. Um, and for a writer for that to happen to, I mean, who lives with him on the what if and the imagination, I mean, it almost had this sense of it was one of his stories horrifically coming to life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, I'm like I had passed this. I you know this was over. The issue was over before I started getting into King, and I was I, you know we have to remind people that when I started reading King, and again I was thirteen. All you had were the books. 
you didn't have the availability to go and like search articles that he had been interviewed by you know that that was not necessarily available to someone in northern ireland maybe in america where you could go to like your local library and find it but it wouldn't be say necessarily in the local library that you have you know in the uk so you couldn't really discover the man behind the stories until the internet you know perked up a bit and, and became more accessible and you know didn't take you know 40 minutes to switch on your computer and you had to shovel colon and into it so i had read everything or was trying to read everything at that point, you know, that he had written. But I knew very little about the person or that he had the accident. And I learned through his books. I learned through On Writing, which is the first book he published in this decade of the noughties. And um, so it's all something that, that, you know, I look back on it. And I now since know about the horrific interest, you know, I've done, I've done my sort of research on it. And I just, th I just thank whatever being is out there that you know he survived because you know and someday we will have to we will have to we will have to you know come to terms with the fact that this man is is, is a man and is uh you know is not does not is not infinite and will Don't leave say us. it I mean, he is like <laughs> <laughs> and you know and, and there's just a lot of hilarious things to talk about in this decade because you know this this is the beginning of the conversation about King retirement. You know, yeah. well, the question was, even if he survives, he's going to retire because surely he can't keep up with the pace of these books that he's been doing for the last three decades after having this accident. And it was constantly talked about. And in fact, some of the book releases we'll talk about later on have referred to the fact that I, he said in interviews, I'm going to retire after this is finished. Yeah. Um. And we, but since then have had this fantastic, you know, another bibliography worth of books since the 2000s you know and i think it's great that we're going to talk about this and start to talk about this in these episodes coming because i think for the old term fans or the fans that begin with it have been with them from the beginning there is maybe a slight predisposition to think of these books as lesser but there is lots of gems in here. And I've certainly encountered that in my reread. I've had my moments where my mind has been converted onto certain books that maybe I liked or didn't like. And now I love and really appreciate them for what they are. And I think some of them takes some of them certainly take um time um uh, to you know do that because of the fact that some of them are so on the pulse of the of the moment in in the year that they're written. And I'll get to what I'm referring to soon. Um yeah, I just think the the we need a bit of hindsight with the the books that have come out in this decade for um because some of them are so on the pulse uh within the years that they are published and we'll get to those books and I'll talk about why and I think that um shortly but um I think that there this this gives us the opportunity to chat about those books to fa fans that are predisposed necessarily to think of these books in a negative way because they're not as good as the books they grew up with that King wrote that the books mm. that were they fell in love with him for because he has changed but to, to, even though you know his, his whole style has changed you know there's there's a whole sort of opinion that there's even a sort of myth out there that King had stopped writing and his books were being ghostwritten because his style had changed so much and I actually noticed that in my reread Bag of Bones is the book that I mark as the book where King's writing becomes more reflective and more internal and less about the descriptions of the external. King has always been a great description of like where the character is in his in, in a room but if you read a book like and I'm jumping ahead to Jim McKee there's very little in terms of like describing say Edgar Fremantle's house that he lives in 
he describes the waves, but you don't really know where the rooms are. You don't really know, like you don't have a map in your head where the way they used to, where he used to write in the seventies because he's not interested in that. He's interested in how Edgar feels, and that starts in Bag of Bones for me. That's where I start to notice that writing change. So there's a lot of differences here in the in the noughties going forward in terms of just not just style but also the subject matter and what he's talking about, and that comes a lot of that comes from the accident that comes from this near-death experience and what you're saying about brian smith about how this you know one individual could have such an effect like um so we'll go we'll talk about that when it comes in but certainly certain books deal with that issue of sometimes bad shit happens out of nowhere and there's no explanation for it and it happens to good people and it and there is no there is no explanation as to why and i think those books that we'll get to and i you know i'll talk about when we get to them and i'm referring to they actually cause a lot of friction with fans because they feel like um they're not given the satisfaction of the sort of finished ending the complete ending but i think that's where king's head goes to from this accident in a place that's a bit more bleak nihilistic than what um he had you know that he had before and certainly in the early part of the noughties that feels like where his headspace at is at is quite a dark place um in saying that you asked me in the 90s um do you think king plans the first book he ever releases in each decade and while i don't believe he does i think there's something special about the fact that after his accident which almost took his life on writing was the next book he published because in that uncertain period for fans where we didn't know if we were going to get another book from King, this book is so fucking hopeful. Uh, so it is. And for a King fan, you can't help, but I certainly can't help, but rejoice when I read it um, as a, you know, as a something who's always dreamed to be in a writer and stuff on writing a member of the craft hands down. We're going to say this right away. We're going to forget about ratings for this. It's the best book about writing that's ever been written. <laughs> out of such a understandably vulnerable, bleak, nihilistic out you know, mindset, mm. and the physical pain he was in, and the mental turmoil that near death, near death, life changing experience comes this absolute gem and joy of a book. Mm. Uh, King said, you know, at the time, you know, ab- about the accident, you know, what he took from me, my time. My peace of mind, my ease of body are simply gone and no court can bring them back. And so that is the frame where he's writing from. But I think for me, what propels this, I mean, in in on writing itself, there's that beautiful passage that I really think sums up where King's at. Because we spoke about, you know, when the accident happened, Brian Smith didn't, he thought he'd hit a deer until he noticed that King's bloody glasses were in the front seat. Mm -hmm. And King writes, the frames were bent and twisted, but the lenses were unbroken. They are the lenses I'm wearing now as I write this. I guess that I wanted to say that things that we ordinarily would see as quite fragile aren't necessarily that fragile. It's true of the glasses and it's true of me. I got bent, I got busted around a lot, but I'm still here (laughs) and that's just remarkable i mean a lot of this book was written before the accident so you can understand the hopeful tone certainly in comparison to the books that follow that are a bit more bleaker um but you know it's yes the book is 
uh, about writing and writing advice, and it and it is fantastic. But it's also this lovely memoir about King's life and what he grew up, and and it takes you right up until he became sort of published and gives you these wee insights into his life, what it was like with his brother and his mum growing up, and you know they weren't very well, and how he dealt with uh, going to the doctors and having ear infections, and the the awful. You can tell he's a horror writer when he's talking about getting this that that what was it like a knitting needle sized needle in his ear to perforate his eardrum sounds you know it sounds awful but uh and he and it's so well written and you and you feel so much closer to king for this book and the thing about king we've also discussed is that you know he's like a campfire um storyteller and he sits around a campfire his voice is very inviting it's like being you know it's it's something you go to in a cold night to curl up with there is a coziness to him even when he's talking about the most horrible crap in the world that people can do to each other and on writing just furthers that conversation like voice he has with his readers you know it feels like he's talking directly to them and yeah and as much as he is talking to people that are wanting to get writing advice and he gives you the tools to do so you know he talks about his toolbox and having all that stuff in there that you would need as as you know uh, a budding writer and i think it's it's great advice and, and what i particularly love about it is when he talks about things like grammar and punctuation and he's like, at the end of the day, throw them out the window because all that matters is story. And I love that. As somebody who has been has had got poor reviews, not because um my stories were bad, but because somebody had a problem with one word that was maybe misspelt or in the appropriate place, which all authors have. I've even found them in Stephen King's books. Yeah. So doesn't matter if you're traditional, self-published or indie published. There is always going to be errors in the work and you do not read stories for grammatical information or to find out that, you know, you don't finish a story. At least I don't close a book and go, that was grammatically correct for 95% of that. That's not why I read stories. And I love that King champions that because there is such a snobbery over grammar. And somebody asked me, what should you rather have? Would you rather read a book that has grammar mistakes in it? Or would you rather have a book that had sections of it ripped out? And I would say grammar all the way because I read for story. I read to be entertained. I read to, to discover new lives and new thoughts and new people. And um, so I, I sort of really... I really, you know, champion King's thoughts from this book. It's a I've read it maybe about six times. It's just a love. It's just a gorgeous. It feels it does. It just feels like you're having a conversation with him. He does the audio book as well, so it, it, it's a it's lovely to hear his voice. I I, I I found it fascinating. You know, I love the way that it's divided into five sections. So you've got mm-hmm. the first one, CV. Um, where he's delving into his life. And I, I love the fact that it is because the memories are sporadic. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it jumps around and some bits he can remember, others he can't. But it's a lovely stumble through, you know, King's life. Then mm. second section, what writing is, um, that I just found, you know, as a non-writer myself, but but an avid reader and someone who one day would like to try and write something. I just found it so inspiring. Uh, third section, Toolbox. I, I love the mechanics, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it, he takes that teacherly, um, but never pompous for me tone, but that really, he, he gets serious, gets, in, yeah. you know, the importance of vocab, grammar and style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, maybe you just sit up and pay attention and listening. Mm-hmm. 
fourth section on writing, his advice on writing. And then that fifth section that I found is just so interesting on living a postscript. The fact that it's called on living, and obviously that's where he delves into the accident and the aftermath. But it feels like a celebration. It feels like... Yeah, he said after the accident, he just couldn't write. I mean, you know, it was like going back to square one. And it just feels like this was absolutely the book that was his life raft that kept Mm -hmm. him afloat and introduced him as well to a whole new audience, Mm -hmm. you know, of of aspiring writers, of people that might not have read many of his works, but were interested in the man. I found it fascinating, you know, that the the critics, the skeptics, um, the naysayers also were drawn to it to go, all right, he's written a book about writing. Let's, you know, let's see what he can do. (laughs) So it had a really, really broad appeal. And again, I remember at the time when listening to it and, and, and my wife read that one because, again, she was doing some writing herself and just, I mean, we found ourselves pretty much every single page and I'm sure not being presumptuous, but I imagine it might be the same for you, Jamie, had just a thick highlighter through it because (laughs) everything was like, oh, that's gold. Oh my gosh, that is gold. And actually at the end, it's like, well, you might as well just highlight the whole bloody book. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Highlight the whole book, really. You need two copies, one to preserve and one to think. But what you were saying about the naysayers is is completely correct because, you know, I think this is the turning point for King for naysaying because King has always had naysayers all his career. He had the old guard of, of, you know, literary critics, critics, criticizing his work because it's a horror author and they hated the fact that he was popular because they would always have to review him and then despite the negativity of their reviews his book still outsold everything else that they promoted and would favor to be in a more sellable position but i think what universally is considered on writing is the best book to read about writing and the craft of writing and that's from academics on down that would think of that and this is from a person that they have always put down throughout his career and his three decade career at this moment when this came out and yet this is revered as you know being the most you know i would say the most the one that gets it right i've read other books about writing and the craft of writing and they're so dense they're they're very hard to penetrate and and as such they lose the quality that you can learn from them because it it's a chore to read this is just so easy um there's such a flow to it because king's employing you know he's just again he's having a conversation with a reader he's employing that style yeah. that he always has and yeah. he doesn't hold back on himself uh, and uh you know and talks about you know use of adverbs and stuff and and then admits that he's guilty of doing the same thing too as we all are and you know so he's but it shows you that he's still learning and he's still trying to hit a goal to be better in some way at how he crafts and creates and and yeah. produces a story i mean that that's the thing isn't it it it, it made me f- less scared of the thought of one day trying maybe to pen something Mm. because it just demystified it and it, it did it's like that einstein quote if you you know if you can't explain something simply you don't know it well enough mm. <laughs> you know and king does that there's a beautiful simplicity but as you say it's a conversation rather than a lecture 
it makes you passionate. You know, if I ever feel down about writing, I go and read that. It ignites the the engines and makes you, you know, you know that this man, the passion he has for writing, it's just streams from this book. And um, it, it you can't help but be motivated by it. And, mm. you know, while, you know, the unique thing for me as someone who always wanted to be a writer and has always written stories, no matter what age they were, I picked this book up at 18 and I read it and I couldn't recognize some of the things in it in the, the toolbox section because I wasn't at that level. And then I listened to it again, an audiobook uh, when I was 28 and about to publish my first book. and. Um, it just struck me how like I connected with all the things he was writing about. Like I went from a place where, cause I read on writing when I was 18 and I actually felt put off because I felt like, Oh my goodness, I'm not doing these things. I'm not good yeah. enough. I'm not, yeah. I'm not at this level. And of course I wasn't fucking at Stephen King's level cause he's Stephen King. And I was 18 <laughs> year old kid from Ireland. Um, but then when I was 28 and, you know, had lived a bit more and had learned how to put that life uh, experience into fiction, and that's what I learned. That was a massive revelation for myself. I just felt like not reading it, I could connect with it in terms of, I know what I am part of this group now that can, you know, in the same way King is, um, you know, I, I am now, you know, a writer and I am doing all the things that a writer needs to do in order to tell their story. Um, so that was sort of an interesting reread for me um, uh, with this book. Well, yeah, I do look at it as a, as a teacher because, you know, mm. The books, I adore his whole back catalogue, even the stuff that we have talked about that, you know, we've been not negative on, but haven't liked as much. Mm. I've been able to dissect it and say, we don't like these things. I still looked at the, everything that he's written as, you know, teaching material for myself in terms of yeah. how to write a story and how to tell a story. And and those things are so ingrained in me now that I actually have to have friends read my stuff and go, was that inspired by that? You know, that book or, you know, that wee thing, that wee scene. And um, and I'm like, oh, maybe it was, but I can't tell, you know, <laughs> because he's just in me. He's part of my, his words are part of my soul now. And I think they are for a lot of people. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, his words are part of my soul. I I think that's the most perfect way to sum up uh, this man, why we, you know, dedicate this podcast to him, obviously, and uh, you know why we, why he has such such a loyal following of constant listeners, constant readers who whose you know his books have bookmarked and soundtracked our lives. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about how King's books are time capsules. Yeah, it's very rare where you read a book and you're like, I know where I was in that moment in time, and mm. I can do that for almost all of his work. Yeah, I, know, I, fin I finished reading Joyland today, and we'll get to Joyland eventually. But I read that. That was a book that I bought in Scotland when I, it was the first King book that I, came out when I had moved to Scotland with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and we were in this new world, new world, new life, and we were students and we were absolutely broke. And I couldn't afford the Stephen King book when it came out, but I damn well bought the Stephen King book when it came out. Yeah, we, won't, we won't eat that week. It's okay. <laughs> um, but so that, you know, that's, and I can't say that there's very few, there's very, very few authors works that I can say that about. So, you know, he's, he's, and I think everyone can say that, you know, listen yeah. to people, your podcasts and other podcasts, and they're able to go, I remember reading this and doing this. 
I, I agree. And I, it's interesting, Jamie, because it almost, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but it almost seems sometimes to be the curse of the creative, right? From a writer to a musician that everyone prefers the early stuff, right? And there's almost this sense that as an artist grows older, that somehow perhaps maybe they lose a little bit of their touch, of, the, of their power, and I think it was an easy thing for people to go, oh, yeah, the accident happened. And then since then, you know, the books have been in decline, just a sweeping generalization. Yeah. But yeah, actually, yeah. you know, I have found that absolutely the, these later decades and the mm -hmm. part after the line in the sand of the accident, those books are just as fascinating and just as we saw in the 70s and 80s, in the 80s, there were some misses as well. You know, it wasn't yeah. just this. And getting the chance to dissect and dive into all of these books, mm -hmm. uh, we realized, well, hang on a minute. Let, let's look at them all individually. And there's such a wealth of stuff that happens uh, in the aftermath uh, uh, of this accident that, again, as you say, with King, I don't think of any other writer I know that I have read so many works by um, one author and then reread them at different times in my life where I'm in a different place and I've got something completely different from it. Um, and I'm so excited to reread his books. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 that, that, that's the thing. It just keeps, keeps on giving and giving. Mm -hmm. We talked about like books that, you know, people might have gone off them and I can, I could see the next book that we're going to talk about, the next book that he wrote that, that was written directly after the accident, Dreamcatcher. And I know you're a fan of it, but I could see why people have, you know, because there would be there would be an unnecessarily unnecessary buildup of anticipation about yeah. the next King, King book, wouldn't there, after the Saxon. People would be looking to see, is he able to do it? Is he yeah. able to, what's he coming back with? And he came back with Dreamcatcher, one of his most unsettling books one of his most brilliant one of his most absolutely scary books about body horror that he ever written you know we've got desperation and thinner and i think this is certainly on par with all the, yeah. the grotesqueness of this but my reread of it and and my first read of it hasn't really changed and i was actually introduced to this story via the film first mm. and what i noticed with the film was the film depicts four friends that are enjoying their time together but when you read the book, there is very little, even though they're together and they're friends and they love it, they love each other. It's 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 such a there's such a bleak thread that runs through this. There's such a nihilistic thread that runs through this book that every single the whole book just deals with the negative of these people's lives, the depressions that they feel, the unsatisfaction they experience about their life and where they are, the suicidal inclinations they they um, have. And um, you can tell that this book, which King has openly talked about in articles, is written from a place of pain. I mean, he originally wanted yeah. to title the book Cancer, yes. and Tabby stopped him from doing so. But I think it should have just been called Pain because it's obsessed with the negative well, the mental pain of people and also the physical pain. Yes, we talk about the body horror here, and it is absolutely grotesque, and we get 
in like intense detail of the pain that Jonesy feels with his body, with his hip, which you know King similarly experiences with him following his accident, because Jonesy is also knocked down in the middle of the street by a car at the very beginning of this book. But you know, there's also you know all the personal struggles of suicidal thoughts, alcoholism, and dissatisfaction that all four of these individuals have between each other. And the book starts in that very bleak place and doesn't there isn't much in terms of hope um throughout all of it um and that for me as i've said to you you know i struggle with the bleak books of king like kuju i know you love it but i just struggled with that bleak yeah. thread so for me it was one that i really had a hard time um just just i well i couldn't enjoy it if you know what i mean yeah uh, and uh, many many people uh, i think find that with this one again for me it's a classic example right it's a classic example of the portable magic and the therapeutic powers of uh, uh, of a good book mm. because as i mentioned on um when i was uh stranded on a certain island um as a survivor type this was the book that I read when I was at my most vulnerable. You know, I, I, you know, was um, mid twenties. You know, my mum died very uh, from very aggressive cancer, mm-hmm. and this, ironically, that this book might have been called cancer. And I remember this was the the first book that I read where I was just able to completely lose myself and just for uh, you know matter of days not be constantly grieving or you know it was a wonderful balm and Mm -hmm. so it's almost taken on this mythical status for me this book um Mm -hmm. because of what it's meant to me um Mm -hmm. and and the sense of it and i've only read it the once Mm -hmm. and i will as I'm doing, I'm, ten, I'm I'm doing a lot of the rereads often, you know, kind of for, for, for the show or sometimes with the new covers, which I'm, you know, excited about. I'm going to be really, I'm a little scared of rereading it, if I'm honest, <laughs> because, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I know, I mean, even King himself, you know, in 2014 said to Rolling Stone, look, I don't like Dreamcatcher very much. He soured on the book. I think, you know, he realized, you know, when he wrote it, obviously he was, you know, he's written straight for a while and then he's back on really heavy painkillers, you know, uh, yeah. to control the pain that he, he's he's under. And as you say, yeah, it's pain, pain, pain. The fact that he's writing the book in in in, in cursive, it feels like it's yeah. a different feel to it. Um, set in Derry, we're back in Derry. You know, mm. we've got Mr. Bob Gray. We've got Pennywise. So, Do you believe Pennywise is alive? That's another thing we need to talk about. Because yeah. I'm just sort of so unsure. Like, I don't want him to be, because it would mean that the end of it doesn't, you know. <laughs> I, 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 it's that thing, isn't it? It's like, does he ever really die, though? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd need to do another read on that to get a sense. But I, I remember at the time going, wow, well, well, maybe, you know, this is an, an, another recurrence or I love the fact that there's shades of it and it's very strongly, obviously, you know, yeah. touched upon, but it's never fully explained. I think it's left to us to make our, our thoughts. What I, like, I, my, I would love my opinion is Pennywise is dead, but the town still it has that thread of having been so close to something so evil that yeah. the evil things that human beings do to one another are amplified in it. 
So when that Pennywise lives is written there, it's just a symbol of the fact that the dairy is still dairy. It's yeah. still that town haunted by the fact that it had this monster beneath it <sighs> and it's infected still with that evil. That's my reading. That's the way I'd like to take it. <laughs> uh, yeah, love that reading. Love that reading. And interestingly, that when he was at the most physical pain that he's been in, we get a book set in Derry which is, yeah. is his darkest place, I think, you know. Um, Weirdly, I love it. I love it. Like, I have a weird love of Derry, even though it's an awful place. Well, because <laughs> that's where our Losers Club spawned from, you know, these yeah. incredible kids, these survivors. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, but very divisive. About your read, about your read I, I'm happy that is your read. You know, mm. I think I completely understand why it, it could be your read because I think for King, this is a very cathartic book. It's getting the pain mm. he's feeling and out in the page. It's getting rid of it. It's exercising it to a degree. And I could understand somebody wanting to, the catharsis that reading this book could have uh, for someone. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm happy that was your read of it. Yeah. And I had a really strong sense of, the place actually when i when i was reading dreamcatcher i got the sense of the cold and the snow yeah. and i again i really really hear you when you're talking about actually your fondness for derry because i i i i feel that too you know and for me i just remember really really ha having having joy <laughs> and going it's okay to do that you know yeah. uh, you know as many many of us know when when you're grieving and you're grieving you know you often well i often i can't speak on behalf of others but it's uh, i then find it hard to allow myself to be kind to myself or to crack a smile or find some joy and this book just presented perfect escapism perfect craziness with the shit weasels and but also the pain i i think there's something about that you know, when you're feeling that and you realize that, wow, this book is infused with pain as well. I, yeah. I, I recognized it called to me, if that doesn't sound too uh, you know, lofty. Um, so I think the catharsis King felt in getting this book out and writing about it, I felt very much as his reader at that time, it was catharsis for me too. Um so yeah, for me, it's almost like, you know, we spoke about Rose Madder and when we gave our ratings, it was kind of very much split down the middle, right? There's 50%, 50% one way, 50% another. I would almost with a book like this have to say, well, it's split two ways. You know, mm -hmm. I might go back and reread it and go, yeah, you know, the text, the, the some of the actual mechanics of it, but the feel of that book, I love. Um I hope you do experience that when you do go back to, mm. you know, it is as I counted here in the first 80 pages, there's apparently three car accidents. There's endless scenes of teeth falling out, very reminiscent of yeah. Tommy knockers, bleeding gums and battle scarred bodies. And it, it, to me, it also comes across as like, it's bleak twinner as a book because it's got these group of friends forged in their teenage years they jump back and forth in time periods and stuff like that um it's also one of those books that indulges in kings like ticks i mean there i think there's four pages of um four pages dedicated to depicting an overweight person monstrously uh that's just one person that's just four pages continuously doing that there's lots of body horror. There's lots of yeah. farting, burping, and shitting. <laughs> there's a lot of bodily functions going on. 
handicapped, unfortunately, are referred in very harsh slurs on it. Female characters are barely featured, and they're only when they are, they're only defined by their bodies. There's a lot, there's fat shaming, class shaming, which is something I've encountered with King in this decade. I, I noticed that he was beginning to, as his financial, uh, as, as he was becoming more successful and, and gaining more success through finance, as he was making more money, essentially, uh, he was moving more away from the sort of working class roots that he had. And there was characters now like Mike Noonan, um, uh, from Bag of Bones, who was a very wealthy author, and you know he's constantly looked after by all these people. That King would have had them as their main, as the main characters back in the seventies and eighties. These people that are, you know, the downtrodden, the ones that are strimping, you know, you know, saving all they can to get by. But instead, he now has the 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 character focuses from his perspective as he is, which is of someone who's much more in a, a more financially um, better position. Mm-hmm. And in this, they're sort of the way that the language he uses is kind of he looks at he looks at those people in working class and looks down on them in dream dreamcatcher as my um as was my mm. experience of this book and also it has 200 pages of the world's longest slowest car chase <laughs> you know there's three cars chasing after the others 100 miles between them and each of them are you know getting slowly and slowly together throughout this blizzard in the middle of winter and I'm just like this is and there's so many scenes that shouldn't you just would have done one scene instead of having multiple scenes of each individual in these cars and it bounces back too long for me between the two between all three of them (laughs) that is and and uh, something that struck me with this book is and this was King expressing himself you grew up became a man had to adjust to taking less than you hoped for you discovered mm. the dream machine had a big out of order sign on it. Yeah, there's a real anger yeah, there. There's anger. real bitterness. And yeah. yeah, you know, at that time, you know, with the pain he's experiencing, of course you get it, yeah, right? There's a lot, there's a, there's rage that courses through mm-hmm. through this book. You know, yeah. uh, quite rightly a sense of why me? Why the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where my problem is for it. I think because I'm reading, I'm reading through my review as we start yeah. to speak now of that book, and what I noticed is I, we're hammered so often over the head with the dissatisfaction with life that it asks. So there's no, there's no positivity. There's never that one minute moment in this in in this book that is in multiple other King books where we are given um a sense of the the characters, the four main characters, um Jonesy, Beav, and all those ones of them being happy with each mm-hmm. other and around each other. You know, in it, we see the happiness of those kids having fun, despite the fact that Bev's got a new bruise in her eye and all this stuff. There is these wee moments that make you, that's what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the safety and, and the, the love and the, the, the joy in these moments. And Dreamcatcher doesn't have that. It doesn't take the time to show us even one of those scenes. Um, so for me, that that's you know, it is a very angry book and a cathartic book, and I could see why it it, it would be helpful uh, for someone in that position. But for me, is from a story point, I needed that one scene for me to hold on to to know why all these people are still fighting because they go through an awful lot. It's an ordeal that happens in Dreamcatcher for these characters to save the world from an alien invasion, um, which we haven't even talked about. (laughs) The greys and there, you just never know why, like the man who has the most suicidal thoughts in this character, in this film, in this story is chasing after the alien. Mm -hmm. And you're never given a reason as to why he is choosing to do so. You know, 
where is he you know what motivates him uh and that was sort of a big uh lack for me yeah the the catharsis that we spoke about i mean again king said in an interview about dreamcatcher you know suddenly i had this huge huge book i didn't think about the pain as much it's like being hypnotized i didn't like dreamcatcher very much dreamcatcher was written after the accident i was using a lot of oxycontin for pain and i couldn't work on a computer back then because it hurt too much to sit in that position so i wrote the whole thing longhand and i was pretty stoned when i wrote it because of the oxy and that's another book that shows the drugs at work again mm. fascinating just but this is quite you know this is 10 years after he wrote it where mm. again with that hindsight looking back and yeah it was problematic for him at the time i think you know it, it it, it clearly it needed it, to be done it needed to be done it it saved him as well um mm. that that hypnosis to be able to lose himself in it um you mentioned obviously about it um and of course how can we not when you know we're mm. um you know talking about dairy um but interestingly one one of the reviews i read said it's like the anti it yeah and it almost harks to what you're saying that because there's there's such pain and there's such physical pain and there aren't those little moments of joy or triumph that we get the little moments of light that really really are are there quite a bit actually in it mm. without that um it, it it's a much almost darker book actually i think maybe if he'd kept that original title i think it would have been more fitting perhaps I wonder if it's because he's so consciously aware of his body and his body that is incredibly broken from the accident and in constant pain and the physicality and the frailty of it, that he's then almost wanting to take some of that pain maybe and and and, and throw it the way of his characters, you know, as he's absolutely. the creator I, of them. I absolutely think that's what it is. It's he, he's exercising the pain from himself yeah. on the pain on the page. I mean, that's what you were, you would always, you know, we work from what you know. And right now, at this moment in time in his life, he lives in pain. And the only time he's away from it is when he's writing. And it's probably because he's putting all the anguish he feels, not just in that moment, but everything he's done with the physiotherapy he's probably receiving, thinking yeah. back to the accident, probably having the memories of it, the nightmares of it, of being hit by a car. Mm. Um, he's putting it on the page. Like you've ne we're talking about body horror and stuff. And, you know, this is the most body horror that King's ever done. But it's also, it's the most on the nerve of what it feels like to experience pain. Like King will say something in another book about, you know, oh, this character lost his fingers. But in this book, you get the detail, like agonizing detail of each individual moment of pain that each individual character experiences. And it's this, yeah. and, and it never, there's not a scene where it's like, oh, he's doing this again, repeating. You can tell this man is, you know, feeling fucking sore. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no surprise, you know, uh, you know, in that accident, you know, the right, his right kneecap split down the middle, left leg broken in so many places, described as looking like marbles in a sock, spine chipped in eight places, ribs, four of them were broken, gash on the head that needed 30 stitches, numerous surgeries, painkillers. I mean, he has physically gone through so much. I mean, what? And the pain of recovery. And the pain of recovery. I mean, life imitating the art. I mean, he's written about this before. He's written about a writer who is physically 
devastated after an accident and recovering. He's written about that with Paul Sheldon and suddenly then he's going through that himself. I mean, yeah, and I do just... think the misery, the Paul Sheldon stuff is well written, but I don't mm. think it's written from a perspective of somebody that's experienced it. This mm. is him writing from a, a perspective of experience in it. And I believe, you know, I'm happy this book exists because I think without this book, it, he needed to write this, as we've said, he needed to mm. get this out of his system. But without this book, we wouldn't have had the fantastic, my favorite book of Kings, Jim McKee, which we'll get to at a later point. Yeah. But you ne- we, he needed to get there. And when we get to that episode where we get to talk about that book, I'll I'll explain why, because it's so far from mo- removed. He needed the hindsight of having been out of the other side of the accident mm-hmm. in order to write about it in a way that, you know, you can completely embrace. So the the bleakness and the pain is there, but you also get the hope. You also get the, yeah. the idea that there is um a light on the other side of pain. Um, we were talking about books that are cathartic and books that, you know, are, are offer escapism for yourself in bleak moments. And and the next book, Black House, was that book for me, um, written with Peter Strapp. Um, last year, I was informed um, that my grandfather was no longer um, swallowing medications and it looked like uh, the end of his life was coming. And uh, that was the book that I happened to be rereading at the time. That's mm-hmm. where I was in my King journey. And I spent... I, I stayed overnight in the care home with them um, and then I spent an entire day with them where I played Hank Williams songs and Elvis Presley songs that were his favourites and I ch- talked to him and I even read from Black House with him, which is not one of my favourite King books at all, but, you know, it was there in a time where, you know, I struggled. I was sitting beside the man that helped raise me and uh, and he was unable to talk back then. You know, he, he, is, he had severe dementia, so... There was no communication in those final days, you know. It was he was just there, so you know, uh, it it was a it was a great deal of comfort for me, um, in that moment to have King's voice there, um, when I was losing, um, someone I loved so much, and uh, uh, but despite that, I still think there's a lot of problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's one of these books that we talk about. This is another decade and where King is uh, writing another book setting it, set in a town, in a small town, big ensemble cast. But this time, the difference is it's written with Peter Strap, and it's set in um, the hometown where Peter Strap grew up, or, or at least a fictional depiction of it. Um, so it is, and this is the sequel to The Talisman that we've all been uh wanting for so long so it is and uh it's it's also it's inspired slightly by the um fisherman seer albert fish the fisherman serial killer in new york um in that it the the killer in it is is sort of hinted at that he is that person but now living in a care home with dementia but he's also connected to and this is where we begin to see it even more play into this decade, the Dark Tower and the forces at work in Midworld and the and the forces at work for Crimson King. And it's a really, really interesting book. I mean, in terms of styles, it's it's so different from The Talisman, even though it's written by the same two authors. And like The Talisman, it has that instead of the out of the fire pan or out of the fire upon into the fire kind of or fire upon into the fire kind of writing that they do in the talisman where each one is trying to up each other from the scenarios 
the, it still has that it's instead of scenarios it's the writing that they feel like they're trying to up each other it is very indulgent mm-hmm. it is very bloated though i wouldn't say as much as the talisman there is a level of flow here that isn't present in that book um it, i think it works better than that than it's uh original uh, than the book it's uh, sequeling off from the previous book the talisman feels like more of a joint idea this feels more like a king idea because it's so peppered with dark tower references bear yeah. in mind that when the talisman came out it talked about another world as being the territories we were never told that mm. you know we were never given an idea and it's since been retconned said the territories was uh, mid-world to some degree but I, I i i prefer the idea that there's other worlds than these i prefer to read that the idea that King and the talisman, Jack Sawyer is going to a completely different world that isn't mid-world, that isn't the place where Roland grew up. Because it just feels like King is trying to bend his multiverse of books into talking about the Dark Tower because clearly it's been on his head now. The accident has happened and as we'll continue on with this, the the retirement is looming and one of the things that we talked about is, or that was talked about him at this time, is the fact that um, he was going to retire after writing the Dark Tower. That the, the accident made him finally decide to finish the Dark Tower saga, and this is the first book that we get. That's just—it's like Insomnia, where it's like it should might as well just be called Dark Tower, not point five or something like that. <laughs> in the series, there's entire chunks spent in this world where we we experience what the. Uh, kids are the kids known as the breakers these kids that have the shine and yep. what the crimson king is doing with them and taking them into this other world and getting them to work destroy the beams like this this novel does so much heavy lifting for king's series that he that in his own world and you're kind of like why is peter strap here writing a book that's solely you know is solely dedicated to uh, King's, you know, universe. It's interesting. It, you know, it's it's just interesting. It is interesting, and it, it has good points and bad points. Um, so it does. You know, the the I think the the two voices built together. Just the the warmth that King normally has is gone here, and I struggle. It's not a bad book. It's just not a great one. You know, it's covered a lot of stuff that King has already done, child mm-hmm. killers, but long sequences that take place from multiple point of views, which, one of which, and this is like the finding of a body, I think one of the point of views is from the view of a bird, <laughs> you know. Um, so it shows you the one shit that's going on between these authors. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, we can make it uh, from the point of view of a, a dog. No, a rabbit. No, a bird. No, I they just keep... Yeah, exactly. Keep upping it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep upping each other, and, and it's just, it just—it strikes me, Jamie, that at that time, so you know, we've had the accident. You know, is King going to write again? Is he finished? Is he done? Outcomes on writing, which obviously there's a huge fondness and admiration and love for it, but maybe at the time people were like, "Well, we no, we want a fiction." Yeah. And then you got Dreamcatcher, which, you know, absolutely, uh, I hear, you know, the, the, of course it's problematic, it's divisive. And then for the third book he's releasing, he's teaming up with someone. Now, at yeah. the time, you'd possibly think, is this because he can't go it alone? Yeah. Or is this because is, he needs... the new king that we're having now, you know? Because yeah. again, this doesn't... Dreamcatcher, obviously, very, very dark book, very book about yeah. pain, as we discussed at length. This book, Again, the, the writing style has changed. It's it's with another writer, and they're blending those two styles together. And and you know you're not always going to get the king you expect with this book. And like when I say to you the title Black House, what do you think this story is going to be about? 
well, Neibolt Street, something such as that, a haunted yeah, house. Yeah, like a haunted house. A haunted, a haunted house, house yeah. story. But instead, and there is a black house in this, a house that's referred to as black house, but instead we get a, a story about a child serial killer who's an old man who lives in a care home and it can jump between multiple worlds. And the black house that is in existing in this, this haunted house, and it is haunted, I think one of the people describes it, the fact that they, the air around it, they breathed it once and they got cancer and stuff like that. And another person went like insane having seen it, which is a thing King loves to do because H.P. Lovecraft did that. Yes. But there is so little time spent in the black house. The whole novel is named after it. It's 800 pages long. It's maybe only 20 pages because the black house is this doorway to the territories because Jack can't go back and forth as easily as he used to and he takes a bunch of his allies with him to find these kids to bring them back mm. and uh, he does so and it's just yeah it's just it it feel it doesn't feel like a king book it's all connected to the dark tower everything's eventual is next it has stories in it three of them I believe that are dark tower associated from a Gate dark tower associated and then we've got the three that actually complete the series and then even that colorado kid has sort of associated with the dark tower so you know it was clearly playing on his mind and must have been this idea of you know the the accident must have made him be fearful of the fact that he isn't going to complete this story and that's where the retirement rumors were coming he was even in an interview where he said i'm going to retire after the dark tower is written Mm-hmm. Because, and I imagine because he suddenly come from a place where The Dark Tower is a series where he would always write when he became inspired to write it. You know, he he waited to the moment to the muse hit. Now it feels like he's orchestrating the muse to hit him to in order to to achieve this dream. And it would be such an undertaking and, and, and you know, a mental um, stress to suddenly be like this book series that I've lent that let. You know, let ideas develop. I want them finished now. Let's do mm. it and get it done. Mm. So, um, I, and, and and that is yeah, absolutely. Because the Dark Tower. I mean, it was the one. It was the series of his books that I avoided for the longest time, because I, you know, I I was a little scared and a little like oh, fantasy. I do think you have to avoid them. Yeah, it's it's less my thing. I'm not sure. And then obviously, you know, and the gunslinger, as we've discussed, it's a really, really tricky entrance. It's a difficult way in. The the the, the you know, it's a fairly hostile book for a for a listener to lose themselves for a reader to lose themselves in. So I get it. Suddenly, then you've got it infused in this book. It, you know, I think you could be worried at the time. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, worried about what the quality, what what he's going to produce now, and I think we we were yeah. like most people would be worried at this stage in his career. Um, you know, where are we going to get? Has how has the accident affected King? And we've got Dreamcatcher, and we've got Black House now, and things that King has done before, like Dreamcatcher is very similar to to Tommy Knockers. It's about aliens, alien ship that's been found, but there isn't any of the kind of hope or um you know or or warmth because i would even say dark, dark, uh, both these books dreamcatcher and black house they're they are very cold reads mm. um that i find and so we're we're looking for the warmth here and where are we going to find it that that's it is that you're not going to find the warmth at this period again you know let, let's remember you know at the time and I, I found this fascinating to read that you know to ensure that that any over enthusiastic fans wouldn't actually then um, purchase the uh, 1985 Dodge Caravan that hit King, 
he bought it for <laughs> yeah for one thousand five hundred dollars uh and he was gonna raise money for charity by allowing people to beat up the van in return for a small fee <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> and i i mean i love that and um you know it was d- demolished eventually in the junkyard but you know he was going to go right look that's not rubberneck on this but look right for a small fee and it will go straight to charity here you go take your aggression out take your anger out smash mm-hmm. it smash it and i get that sense that it's, that, that's, that's interesting that he offered that because he clearly yeah. he, he clearly knew his fans were angry too yeah. he had he had the ability to be cathartic by writing this book, Dreamcatcher, and and then and and Black House about that. But and again, Black House has some really really well depicted scenes of pain, of people being in pain and death and stuff. It's quite it's you know it's quite cutthroat. Um, yeah, and and there is he's given it to fans. You know, he's always been aware of his fans. Come destroy the thing that almost destroyed me. Yeah, right, absolutely. And you know, at the time, there was divisions that were happening, even in you know around King's hometown, because there, you know, some people were saying, "Well, look, would this be of such a big deal if he wasn't a celebrity? Would it be such a so that you know? Because obviously, King quite rightly, you know, I." We went for this guy, you know, and, and there were repercussions to what happened. And so you could see these tribes kind of starting to happen of some people going, yep, you know. I think the I, argument... There's a lot of anger. There's a lot thing. of anger. Yeah. The argument about, like, would this matter if King is a celebrity or not? I don't think of King as a celebrity. I think the love for King comes from the fact that he's a person that has contributed to society and contributed to people's lives. He's not mm. Paris Hilton, uh, famous for being Paris Hilton. He's Stephen King, famous for creating mm. fucking universes uh, we fall in love with and affect in our lives and being there at growing moments within them. So I think that's more deserved of people being... Mm annoyed and you know i wouldn't want you know brian smith made a mistake and anyone can make them and i'm not talking about that person should have been persecuted for that um you know by like a mob or lynch mob or anything like that or you know the king's fans should have risen up against them i'm not talking about that but i'm just saying that i don't think the argument can be made that king is a celebrity because he's not a celebrity in the traditional sense um, because he's actually contributed to society in a way. Because the celebrities in that time and were famous for being famous, not well, for actually contributing. That's it. And just my last thoughts on this is, you know, we've got a time when King's gone through this the darkest period, you know, possibly of his life, you know. Um, and it occurs at the turn of not just a new decade, you know, but the end of not even a century, but a millennia. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Well, remember at the time, you know, and some of you listening might go, "Hey, what are the what's this old man talking about?" But I remember, you know, nineteen ninety nine. Okay, yeah. this fear that was running through everybody of what's going to happen when we hit midnight is, yeah, or, you know, is all technology going to be wiped off the face of the earth? Is you know, is the whole world going to implode or collapse? There was this genuine fear of what was going to happen, and of course, it got to you know a second past midnight, and and nothing, nothing really happened. changed. Our, our coal-powered laptop still worked. They they <laughs> exactly. You keep shoveling them in, and just but there was it was a time of I, I guess there was a time of fear and a time of excitement and opportunity, but it was a huge moment it was uh, uh, and what's happening to king there at this time of uncertainty 
I feel is coming out in these initial books that he writes. As we say, we get the the joy of on writing, and it is a joyous, joyous book. And then the bleakness of cancer, stroke, dream catcher, mm-hmm. and then you know, black, black, black. Even his name, Black House. I mean, and it is a black. It's not. It's you know, king. Children died in it, and children were killed in it. But in Black House, they were killed by a monster, and that provides readers with a certain detachment that they wouldn't necessarily have. It's a mon- it's a fictional thing. It can't it, Pennywise can't be more fictional than anything else because it can take any shape, you know. But these, this is by a person. Yeah, he can jump between worlds, but he's a human being, yeah. a disgusting, sleazy old man who is murdering children. You can't get much fucking bleaker than that. Well, I always think it's whenever I hear Black House, I think Bleak House. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we are just going to look at what the ratings are now. So we looked at those three and we looked deeply. So let's hear our ratings. So, Jamie, on writing uh, a memoir of the craft. I don't think I even need to ask you this, right? <laughs> It's five stars. It's five stars. Absolutely. Here, here. Yeah. Like we say, give it six. Give it six stars. It's such a vital, important book. It's chicken soup for the soul, as you so rightly said. Um, Dreamcatcher. <laughs> Dreamcatcher. I give two stars. Two stars. Yeah. <laughs> it's still not as bad as Rage. So even as bleak as I was on it, it's still yeah. better than Rage. <laughs> and my rating comes with a caveat. I I go for four stars because of the nostalgia and 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 the importance of the book. But I am very aware that I, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what it's like on my reread. Um, but for the for the emotion and for what it did for me, four stars. And then Black House, I can't talk about because I haven't read that yet. Um. Jamie Blackhouse. Uh two and a half is what I give Blackhouse. You know, two there is half. interesting things here. I know it comes across as me being negative on it because that's just me. Yeah. Um, that's my read. But at the same time, you know, it, it was it was better, you know, I enjoyed it more than Dreamcatcher. And, you know, it also was a book that comforted me at that time in my life, as we've described yeah. it. So I mm. give it two and a half. Yeah. Okay. So a hugely massive time for King and King fans. Um, And we're just at the beginning uh, of this decade and we can't wait for you to join us as we look ahead at all these, because he's, he's pumping them out. We've got plenty more books to cover. Uh, Jamie, really, really beautiful episode. Thank you, my friend, for, for, for being there for that one. Thank you for having me. Thank you, buddy. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at King Size Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.